I was 16 years old, uh, my brother and I, we, uh, I have a younger brother who's three years younger than me, uh, we went to school in Woodbury. We were private school kids um, basically ever since we started school, uh, elementary, junior high, high school, even college. And so one of the schools we went to was a school out in Woodbury. Um, uh, and, and, and so one, a lot, one of the things that I, I learned having gone to school in Woodbury is I had a lot of friends who lived in Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin is very close to Woodbury, and so uh, we kind of put the whole Vikings cheesehead thing aside, and we just figured, you know, we got to learn together, so we got to figure out a way to make this work. And so I had a lot of friends who lived in Wisconsin, and and, and oftentimes uh, there was just more area, just more space to do fun things on the weekend, like bonfires and everything in Wisconsin than there was in Woodbury. So we spent a lot of time driving to Wisconsin uh, to just hang out with friends on a Friday and Saturday night. And, um, and, and so some of you may not realize this, but there was a time where you did not have GPS on your phone. And there was a time when GPS was far too expensive to purchase. You had to be wealthy. You had to live in Woodbury to be able to afford the GPS that you would put on your dashboard. And so old school style, we used this thing uh, for many, many years called MapQuest. If you've never used MapQuest, you have not traveled. And so what you would do is you would enter in the, the beginning address, your home address, and then you would enter in the ending address uh, of where you want it to be, and then MapQuest would kind of just pull up these directions, and then it would give it to you, and then you would print them from your home computer off of the printer, and then there you go. You're just driving. You're just trusting that there's no construction. You're trusting that there's no detours because MapQuest doesn't take into account the detours. And uh, I remember this one time driving into Wisconsin, going to a, a, a friend's house that I hadn't been to before. Uh, I knew how to get to some friend's house, but this was a new one, and I got horrendously lost, horrendously lost to the point that I don't even remember that 94 will get me back to Minnesota because I didn't know how to get back to 94. Like I was lost. And what do you do when you've been following a map and you find yourself lost? What do you do? You freak out, yes. But if you're anything like me, you start to blame the map, right? You start to blame the map. I, I mean, I remember so many times, like, well, this stupid map is wrong, and if this map, and sorry, Theo, this stinking map is wrong, and if this map would have been right, whoops, um, <laughs> then I would have gotten my, it's, it's the map's fault. You know what? It's the internet's fault. You know what? It's the person who made the map on MapQuest's fault that I am lost. One of the ways, um, I've heard about the Bible growing up is that the Bible is described as a roadmap to life. Um, I disagree with that based on the story that I just shared. Because if we look at the Bible as the roadmap to everything that we're called to do in this life, everything we're supposed to do in this life, what happens when things go wrong? Or what happens when things don't go the way that we expected them to go? Many of us blame the map. Um, when we read the scriptures, um, when we open up the Bible, which we love to do here at this church, we love to open the Bible. When we read the scriptures, we look at the Bible not as a step-by-step -step guide as to how we are called to live life. Because uh, when I was a young adults pastor, I used to, we, one of the things that we used to talk about was, what the, the common theme was, when am I going to get married? 
or and, and when am I gonna? And so I remember having these conversations with people, and they're like, you know what? I'm just gonna open the Bible, and the Bible is gonna be a step by step process of of what it's going to look like and how I'm going to get married. But the difficult thing is there's no one named Mandy in the Bible. And I remember talking to a guy and it's like, the roadmap didn't lead you to Mandy. The, 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 The Bible led you to Jesus. The Bible led you to the person of Jesus. The Bible leads us not in a, in a step-by-step guide because there are going to be some questions that you have in life and some directions that you are seeking that are not going to be discussed in the Bible. It's really not, but what the Bible does do is it points us to the person of Jesus. It points us to the activity of the Holy Spirit. It points us to the fact that God can be trustworthy even when life is not. And so as we dive into this book of James, and I'm going to be talking fast because my computer charger broke sometime between last night and tonight, and we've got about 21% until the whole thing shuts down. So we're going to move quickly. But James, the book of James, it it, it talks about this concept, as you saw in the video, that this idea that living a life of faith works. But on the other side of the coin, just like living a life of faith works, living a life of faith takes work. There are going to be things that happen in this life that you do not expect. There are going to be things that happen in this life that you did not see coming. And I really think that James is the perfect uh, and most relevant conversation when it comes to our 21st century Western church culture. And so my prayer is that we would lean into this book. It is five chapters, but man, it is, they are powerful chapters. We went through this in Brotherhood Bible Study, our Brotherhood Bible Study, and it was awesome. And what James is going to do is he's going to give instruction and encouragement to those who are following Christ. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I was sold a a different bag of goods when somebody was presenting me with Jesus, right? Have you ever been in that place where it's like someone, here's Jesus, here's the story, here's the thing, and everything's going to be great. And then something happens, like, but what about Jesus? What about everything going great? And James is writing to give instruction and encouragement to those who are following Jesus to remind them that there is a life to live, and the best way to live life is a life that is abandoned to the person of Jesus. James deals with the reality that following Christ doesn't omit us from trials or trouble. And James, if I could say, it's almost like the nuts and bolts of what it's like to follow Jesus today. Not just a Sunday morning faith, but a Monday through Saturday getting me back to this place where we can engage with one another, where we can worship, where we can open up the word. James is the nuts and bolts of what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus every day. 24-7. So if you have a Bible, uh, a paper Bible, or or if you have a a Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible and you really want a Bible, we've got ones for free out at the Welcome Center. Feel free to grab that one. Take it with you. You're not stealing it because we're giving it to you. Uh, Dog ear those pages. Highlight it like crazy. Um, But here we go. We're going to dive into James chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what James says. James, a servant of God, And of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And I just love this. Greetings. Very simple, very straightforward. James. Okay, so let's let's, let's talk about why is James writing. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the half-brother of Jesus the Savior. He grew up with Jesus and he saw Jesus step into his calling. 
And the interesting thing about James is he grew up in the same house with Jesus, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior until after the resurrection. I mean, and I don't blame him. I grew up with a brother, and, he, and I'm older, so if anything, I should be the one, right, who's awesome. But this actually kind of correlates between me and Matt because Matt is awesome. Anyway, and so how, why would, how could James believe that his younger brother or his brother, his half-brother, is, is the savior of the world? What would, it get, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the savior of the world? You know what I mean? Like the things that you heard about growing up, man, there's a Messiah coming and this, that, and you're sitting like at the dinner table and, and you're like, that's going to be awesome. And secretly he's just like, yeah, that's me. That's me. Like what would it take to get you to believe that your sibling was a savior of the world? James is dealing with those doubts and so, until after the resurrection because James saw his brother die. James saw his brother be taken off the cross. James saw his brother put into the tomb. I mean, and then all of a sudden, James sees his brother later. So after the resurrection, James jumps on board. It's like, well, I couldn't do something like that, so it must be him. He must be the Savior. James is writing this letter to Christians who are experiencing persecution uh, for their faith. He's writing when he says the scattered tribes. He's writing because these Christians have been displaced from their homes for believing in Jesus. He's writing to those that because they are following Jesus is actually costing them something. It's actually costing them something more than some Facebook friends, more than some Instagram followers, more than, I mean, it's costing them real things. It's costing, it's, it's threatening their lives, it's threatening their livelihood, it's threatening their families. So James is writing to people who have been persecuted and displaced, and the remainder of this book, besides the greeting, the remainder of the book is James' instruction and insight to those who are dealing with this displacement and persecution. And he is speaking into their circumstances, hopefully to help them Keep their eyes and hearts focused on Jesus. Now, this series um, was going to be four weeks, just like the Ecclesiastes one was supposed to be four weeks. Uh, But this series is actually, it's going to be 11 weeks, and it's actually going to take us to right before December. And so I'm really excited about that because it allows me to sit in one place for a long period of time. And, And But here's the deal. We're going to go through James section by section, each section being unique instruction. And so here's the deal. Buckle up for the next 11 weeks because we are going to dive into James. And again, my prayer is that we would keep our hearts focused. We would lean into what God wants to do through his word. And I pray that God would even speak to some of your circumstances that you're going through. So James chapter 1, we're going to kick off in verse 2 through verse 18. Hopefully the computer doesn't die in the process. Here we go. James says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But... When he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. 
The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossomed, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting shadows. He... He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Um, I remember hearing somebody say uh, when I was in church, I remember when I was growing up before I was a pastor and everything, I remember hearing somebody say during a message that you are, uh, you're, you're either in one of three places in life. You're either walking into a trial, you're walking through a trial, or you're walking out of one. It's peculiar that when, when James is addressing these readers, when he's addressing these people who are dealing with very difficult circumstances, it's very peculiar that the first thing that he does is he, he's, he's addressing them, uh, and, and what he says is, is not very motivating given based, based on their circumstance, and he's encouraging them to consider it joy when they experience trials, when they experience hardship. James is saying, consider it joy. I mean, joy is not the first emotion I would run, I run to when I'm going through something difficult. When I'm facing a difficult season, joy is not the emotion that first sets itself upon my heart. And I think that the difficulty is that trials in this life are unpredictable, aren't they? I mean, no one ever sees one coming. Um, there, 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 there's no buildup, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, it, when we watch movies, like, we can see the hard time coming, usually because of the music that's played, but that's just not how life plays out. There's no buildup. There's no little voice that says, hey, hey, in six months, your marriage is going to fall apart. Or there's no voice that says, hey, next week, uh, your, your car is going to break down. And it's going to break down right after you made that irrationally expensive purchase that you can't return. Uh, there's no voice that says, hey, in two years, your kids are going to get really, really sick. There's no voice that says, hey, tomorrow you're going to lose your job. Because when trials come, they come out of nowhere. They're unexpected. When tr when, when, uh, and usually what happens, and I'm just going to say with me, I don't want to speak for you, I'm going to speak for me. Usually what happens when I go through difficult seasons uh, is usually what I like to do is I like to take the mirror and I like to turn it back on God. 
and I like to, to look at, at, at God, and I like to, to turn the mirror back on him uh, and, and kind of blame him for these circumstances, blame him for these tests, blame him for these trials. But the thing that I have begun to learn in my life, and the, thing, the reason I say I haven't learned it yet is because I'm still in the same process as everybody else. So the thing that I'm learning is that tests and trials actually speak more about me than they do about God. If I could ask you a question, what's the, um, what is the first thing you run to when facing a difficult season? God? Dude, me too. That's, you know, um, what's the first emotion? Where does your heart go? Where does your mind go? When, when, when you're faced with a difficult circumstance, and again, I'm, I'm only going to be honest, I'm only going to speak about myself, but um, uh, God is not always the first person I run to. I mean, the, the difficult reality is God many times is not the second or third person I run to. Joy is not the emotion I feel usually, I'm sorry if this turns you off from our church, but uh, usually sometimes, uh, and I'm going to say usually, I'm going to say sometimes because I'm learning. Um, um, it's been less in the last three hours than it was in the previous uh, 35 years. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Um, if you're new, that's what happens when a joke doesn't go the way that I plan it to go. I do that. So if you don't want to hear that again, lean into the joke. Um, we can laugh in church. We can, we can find joy when dealing with difficult things. But um, uh, usually, um, oh, it sucks. Uh, stinks. Usually, I, I treat God as a last resort rather than my first response. I kind of turn the mirror on him again, and, I, and, I, and I'd be like, here's the deal, God. Where, where were you when the kids got sick? Where were you when the marriage fell apart? Where were you when I lost the job? Where were you to keep me out of the store from, and not make that irrational purchase when you knew, because the Bible says that you're the beginning and the end, so I assume you exist in the middle. When my car was going to break down, you could have made that irrational purchase go away. I turn the mirror on God and I start to blame him, but uh, the thing I love about God's word is no matter what I dish out to God, it dishes something back at me. <laughs> uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Um, I forgot I was the slide person for a second. It says, uh, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. Man. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. I love what 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says. It says, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, it says, if we are faithless, he, being God, remains faithful, for he, God again, cannot disown himself. See, for us, faithfulness is an attribute. For God, it's who he is. And just a little thing, parenthesis added. 
And so as we look at what James is writing to these persecuted, displaced Christians, uh, as we look through this, this previous chapter, there's this little uh, word. It's a little big word, and it's the word because. I love when God uses little big words because it turns the tide as to why we should consider it joy. Why should we consider it joy when we're going through trials of many kinds? And then James writes the word because. And James leads, he's leading his readers down a, a specific path, and then all of a sudden this word because turns them in a different direction, or hopefully it turns them, hopefully it turns you because it definitely turns me, turned me, because here's the deal, when our faith is tested, it begins to produce something in us that maybe a test or a trial wouldn't. I would love to be in shape just by thinking about being in shape. And then I see Jared on Instagram. Looks like freaking Superman. And I'm like, why does he look that way? I've been thinking about eating healthy. I've been thinking about working out. And then there's Superman. I'm like, oh, because he's actually doing it. Oh, that's kind of a deal breaker. <laughs> <laughs> I told my wife she had to stop following Jared on Instagram because she started photoshopping my head onto his body. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Just a lot of bad jokes for first-timers, man. For everybody who's been around, this is, no, this is normal. You can ask anybody. This is, whew. But James, is he uses the word because, be because... There are certain circumstances in life. There are certain trials and testings that we have to go through because ultimately what God is doing is he's trying to pull something out of us. He's trying to produce something in us because here's, here's the difficult truth is no matter how long you live life and how close you get to Jesus and how many times a week you go to church and how many times you crack open your Bible, there will always be seasons of testing. There will always be seasons of trial. But when we lean into those things and when we allow God to produce in us what he is trying to produce in us, guess what? The next time you face a trial, which you will, that endurance, that strength, that, that thing that God's producing, it'll start to kick in. It'll start to kick in, and it'll kick it in as, long, as you continue to follow God through that specific trial. And what God is trying to produce in us in the midst of tests and trials is this word called perseverance perseverance. It's the idea of not quitting when things get difficult. It's the idea of not quitting when things get hard, of not folding in the towel when it comes to your relationship with Christ because you're dealing with something that someone told you wouldn't deal with. And through perseverance, James says that ultimately will lead to maturity. Like in this physical life, man, maturity is a goal. There's nothing worse than seeing a 40-year-old person lacking the proper maturity for their age. There's nothing worse than seeing that. And, and, but, 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 through, but with perseverance, perseverance comes through experience, both good and bad. Man, God wants to teach you so many things through your good seasons, and he wants to teach you so many things during your bad experiences. But with experience comes the ability to learn how to persevere. And through experience, it leads you down the road of maturity. Uh, 
And the goal, as what James says, is that, that we would grow, uh, that we would become mature, and then we would become complete, lacking in nothing. Um, so, okay, so I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, both girls. And we've gotten to this point in our relationship, specifically me with the eight-year-old, uh, where she is embarrassed of me all the time. I sneezed last week, and she burst into tears because she was embarrassed. So we've, we're there. Um, we're also at the point of irrational anger. And I ask her, why? And she'll say something that she needs. And I'll say, I didn't know. I didn't know. Now, mind you, I live with three girls. And she's just angry. And I'm like, but you didn't, you didn't. Yeah, Ian, yeah, Ian lives with four. He, he needs more prayer than me. Um, but um, but I, I, it's one of those thoughts, I'm like, but you didn't ask me. How was I supposed to know? How, how could I give you what you needed if you don't ask me? And this very profound thought, now if you're taking notes, you want to write this down because this is going to be super profound for you. Receiving is the effect of asking. Receiving comes from asking. And my question for all of us, my question for myself as I was, looking, was preparing this message, is am I asking God for the things that I need? Are you asking God for the things that you need? Uh, like we, we spent the last uh, eight weeks or so in the book of Ecclesiastes talking about uh, learning, g- gaining some wisdom from King Solomon. And the thing that I love about Solomon is God gave him the opportunity to ask for anything. And God gave him the opportunity. You could ask for literally anything you want, Solomon, but Solomon asked for the right thing. He asked for wisdom. And because he asked for the right thing, God gave him everything. Wisdom, we have to come to this understanding that wisdom is not primarily simply knowledge. But it's godly behavior in different situations. If you're wondering, why don't I respond in certain circumstances and situations the way I want to, are you asking God for the wisdom to deal with those circumstances? Are you asking God for the wisdom to know the way that you're supposed to behave and and know the way you're supposed to respond? And, And I think the reason that I don't is because I don't ask God. I believe that God wants to give me the things that I need, maybe not so much the things that I want, because the things that I want sometimes take away from the things that I need. Um, but but if, you're ever, if you're a list writer, you, maybe you've written a few pros and cons lists in your life uh, when it comes to a big decision as to maybe uh, what college to go to or what job to take. Uh, if you're one of those lucky people who had options of what jobs to take. We didn't have options. So the pros and cons list was take the job. And, and so uh, that was my life. But... Um, but sometimes when you're in a, writing a pros and cons list, sometimes I think maybe we need to step back and write a needs versus wants list too. And then we need to allow God to begin to, to, um, to move kind of throughout that list and shift some things around. And if I could just give you a, a simple definition of need, uh, when we need the things that God wants to give us, those are things that will outlast us. And our wants are usually things that break. Those are things that usually have a timeline on them. But when we ask God for the things that we need, we need to ask and believe. I mean, I've asked, I mean, this was super convicting for me, but I've asked God for so many things and then had no faith behind it that they would actually happen. 
We were dealing with, um, we were dealing uh, years ago before we started Motion City, the church that we were on staff at before we started this church, uh, our oldest went through a, a ridiculously scary health um, health episode that started when we lived in Louisiana. So don't live in Louisiana. Um, but started there and kind of followed us back to St. Paul. And we woke up on a Sunday morning and I was getting ready for church and all of a sudden I hear Jen begin to panic because she can't wake Taylor up. And all of a sudden she goes, Steve, come in here. And all of a sudden Taylor's breathing started getting really fast and really short and very struggled. She's struggling. And Needless to say, we ended up in the hospital for a week. She was unconscious for three days and uh, found out she had pneumonia in both lungs. Um, we got her in there in time because we had friends bring their child in for the same thing, uh, and their kid passed away. So that was the seriousness of this episode. And, um, and so there was only one of us that could sleep uh, at, at, in the hospital with our child. And so I, I stepped towards Jen like I was going to have a conversation about who that person was. And then her eyes told me, if you think you're sleeping here over the night, I will kill you. So I went home. And then I was supposed to just go to sleep. Two-thirds of my life is in a hospital room. I was supposed to just go to sleep like everything's normal. We had a room in our basement. I moved it out. And I just began to, like, fight God. And I began to ask him for things that I did not in the moment believe he could do. Um, the lesson that I learned is a lesson I want to tell you is um, don't allow your emotional state to dictate God's strength. See, when we come before God with requests, we actually have to believe that he's the God that can do them. We have to actually believe that he's the God who can do them. We actually have to believe that he is the God who orchestrated the stars in the sky and created life out of nothing and, and only allows the, 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 the sea to go only up to a certain point. We need to know and believe that he's the God who is so aware of when a star comes into life and goes out of life, so aware that when a, a sparrow falls from the sky, I mean, we have to believe that he is a God who can take care of our most... Uh, minor details as well as our most difficult seasons. When we ask God, we have to ask and bring our faith with it because faith works, but faith will take work. And then, and then through that season, God really allowed me uh, a different perspective. James talks about the power of your perspective. How do you see the trials and the difficult seasons that God brings you to and brings you through? Are you grateful because God is developing in you something that the trial couldn't develop you into himself? And James is trying to get these Christian believers to raise their perspective above their circumstance and to see something greater and ultimately to see someone greater. And he's talking about the fact, man, but, and, and, and when you go through your, your trial, when, you're blessed because you're developing perseverance, because you're developing maturity. And when, that, that, when, when you've walked through that difficult season, once you've endured, once you've stood the test, you're ultimately a winner of that test. You know what I mean? Like, you've ultimately won that round. And, and, and we look towards, as Christians, we, the thing that I love is we look towards eternity. We look towards heaven. We look towards eternity with a unique perspective because we know that because of Christ, our destination is with Christ in heaven. Um, 
And he's like, don't just look at now, guys. You're displaced. You're being persecuted. You're going through difficult seasons. Don't simply look at now. Later in James, he's going to talk about the fact that life is quick. It's a vapor. But, uh, but as Christ endured and was tested, so shall we be endured and tested. Because if we're following after Jesus, we're following after all of who he is. Not just the camp moments and not just the youth convention moments, but we're following him in everything. And, and it, I remember just uh, a lot of stories today. I remember walking through uh, a, a difficult season when it came to ministry and when it came to my marriage and when it came to like being a first-time dad and, and, and all these different things. I remember just going through a difficult season. And I remember going to my pastor and asking him, why is God doing this to me? And he said, well, first, he's not doing it to you which is a point that James is going to cover. He goes, but also, uh, Jesus took the cross. Why would you think God would omit you from pain? These are those moments where someone just speaks something personal in your life and you should be grateful, but you're just pissed. <laughs> and Theo's not in here anymore, so I can say that. But James moves in that same direction. Can you hear him speaking hope? Can you, can, you, can you kind of sense the people getting excited and they're kind of like, okay, okay, perseverance is good, maturity, okay. And then James just gets kind of personal and it's just like, ugh, why? Why did you have to get personal like that on I me, mean, James? Because there have been so many times where I have blamed God for tempting me. When God is not the one who tempts, God's the one who tests. Let's get, let's get, let's keep that out in the open. You know, let's keep that in the light that God is, yes, the one who brings about testing. But in those moments of temptation, which testing can produce, that's not God. God is not the one who brings temptation. Satan tempts, but ultimately it's us who lead ourselves in the way of temptation. It's ultimately ourselves who lead ourselves in the way, what do I mean by this? Uh, when your heart and your eyes are focused on Jesus, there's really no other space for your eyes and your heart to go, right? Like when you're focused on Jesus, man, he occupies all that space. But let's say you're tired or let's say things aren't going your way and your heart and your eyes focus off of Jesus. Now there is space that exists within your line of sight that exists within your heart and it has to be occupied by something, right? And Jeremiah talks about the fact that our heart is wicked beyond all other things. And so when we allow our heart to guide us, we allow the opportunity for wickedness and evil and our real, just like our, our secret desires that we hope nobody knows about and we can keep under wraps for long enough. And we don't really want Jesus to deal with it because we think that we can continue to deal with it ourselves. And so we're going to continue to deal with it ourselves. But when we take our eyes off of Jesus, that stuff kind of begins to come to the surface, which is why I oftentimes say that sin is never a surprise. When, I, when I've talked to people, they're like, I don't know how it happened. Yeah, you do. Maybe you even said that. Maybe you found yourself in a really difficult place, a place that you never anticipated to go because here's the thing that I know about sin, it will cost you more than you ever anticipated to pay because you think you can deal with it. Sin is never a surprise. 
There are no surprise sins. What there are is hundreds of potential small compromises along the way that ultimately lead you to the destination that your heart, when not focused on Jesus, will lead you to. And then again, when we're here, just like when the map doesn't get us there, we go and blame God. God, why did you tempt me to this point of breaking? It's like, no, that's not my job. That's not what I do. That's Satan's job. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm about testing to produce perseverance. I'm not about tempting to break you and to ruin your character and to ruin your, 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 your just your, the, the way that people, that's not my, my job is to point you, continually point you towards my son. We allow our hearts to wander. We allow our eyes to wander. We can't blame God for places he never led us. And so maybe that's a challenge for you. Maybe what are, what are the small things in your life right now that you are compromising on? Because it's a lot easier to blame God than take responsibility. So what are those, con- what are those small compromises that you're making? And the truth is, guys, life isn't perfect, but God is But God is perfect. James is reminding these displaced, persecuted believers that your life and your circumstance and your situation is not perfect, but our God is. And every perfect gift comes from him. And he does not change. His ways are perfect even when our situations aren't. So the final question is, do you trust that God is in control? Not just of the good times, but of the trials and the tests too. If I could leave you with a thought that could potentially ruin your lunch, uh, it's this. Even your worst trial and your worst season is still a part of God's perfect plan. That's really hard. Jen and I talked for a few hours on that. We both decided that I wouldn't say it, but then she went to bed. And, uh, and, But think about that for a second. Your worst trial and your worst season, because remember, God is trying to produce something in you, is still a part of God's perfect plan for your life. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for...